Sasuke goes for it again. Oh, he just can't do it. You just cannot be that good. That is an amazing goal. I think you scored a goal every time he's had a shot. What's going on, guys? We are back with the 50 Plus One Football Podcast, your home for all things Premier League and Bundesliga. We have a host of topics for you today, but with me as always, a man who is as welcome to me as sanctions on the Russian Football Federation are to the rest of the world, it's Billy. That might not be topical in a few months, but right now, that's razor-sharp banter. Just a little bit, just a little bit. But like Lewis said, we've got a whole host of topics to go over, starting with the sacking of an icon in Leeds, Marcelo Bielsa. And I was right all along. Then it's time for some Marsh Madness with the new head coach. Lampard calling out the officials, but they have got a phone call from Mike Riley, so it's okay. Before moving over to the Bundesliga, where we take a look at Robert Lewandowski's situation and the transfer mill. How tight it is between places four and six in the Bundesliga. And should Dortmund get rid of two of their biggest and best players in the last decade? Without further ado, let's jump in. So you were right all along. I was. I'll be honest. It feels nice. Do I look smug? I feel smug. (laughs) Well, I mean, I guess you can feel smug at the end of the day because you were already so, so unhappy with the fact that everyone was praising Leeds cavalier football and uh, what Bielsa was doing. And finally, you have gotten your wish. Bielsa is gone. Yes, you're smug, but was it really that necessary? Yeah, I think it probably was because there's only so much that there's only so much that sentimentality can carry you in football. Fair enough. But if we're taking a look at the table, I mean, yeah, Leeds United have definitely dropped places, but they're not that far off from, say, mid-table, if we're being honest. I don't think it's the fact that they've been losing games. I think it's more the manner of which they've been losing those games. You know, we're talking a 4-2 defeat uh, at United, a 6-0 hammering by Liverpool, 4-0 to Spurs. You know, they're, they're currently two points above the relegation places with, you know, the likes of Burnley and Everton having games in hand. Do you want a little nice statistic? We love a statistic. Hit me. Leeds have the worst defense in the Premier League. Oh, yeah, that's not a minus 31 goal difference. I mean, well, no, it's not the fact that they're minus 31 goal difference. It's the fact that they've conceded the most goals in the Premier League. Yeah, and they've got a record now for the most goals conceded in the calendar month in the Premier League. You know, they conceded 20 goals. Okay, well, I mean, if we're talking about records like that, then I feel quite stupid for asking, was it really necessary? <laughs> but, okay, so this is the thing, right? So you look at the the Spurs game on Saturday. Okay, yeah, they hit the post twice. There was an argument for a penalty, but... And people will argue about the... the injuries to, like, Calvin Phillips and Patrick Bamford. And I'm not discounting that because Calvin Phillips is ridiculously important to that Leeds team. 
and so is Patrick Bamford. But it's the manner of which Bamford was rushed back and then injured himself in his, on his return game. Well, yeah, and... but that's you know that's that's the same type of stuff as like uh, Erling Haaland and Dortmund, if we're being honest. Yeah, an over reliance on one player. Exactly. exactly. And I've said it. I said it last year, and I said it again at the start of this season. His stubbornness, or his either stubbornness or his inability to change the way he wants to play. Will yeah, cost him. It was it was the it was the lack of the plan B. Yeah, it was either you know an, a, a, a lack of want to change, or I suspect an inability to. Yeah, because I mean, if you look at how long Leeds have now been sticking to the same plan, you start to ask if there ever was a plan B, or if it was just a stubbornness to stick with plan A. I you see. Know, I I totally see your point. You know, they, they go 2-0 down to United a couple of weeks ago. Granted, start of the second half, they keep playing the same way. It pays off, they get two goals. Yeah. But there's still the same problems. You know, they did it at Liverpool. They got hit for six. They did, it, they did it at Spurs. And Spurs put four past them. You know, I can't understand the mind of a man who wouldn't invest in January when he knows he's got injury problems. Yeah, but you have to remember, you know, when we're talking about January transfers, how many times do January transfers really pay off? Virgil van Dijk was a January transfer. Okay, why do you have to throw in my face arguably one of the top three centre-backs in the Premier League? Why? Just why? One of the top three centre backs but, in the world, but I no, I get, I get oh, yeah, your point. There you go. I get your point. I was that's that's my thing. That's my thing. Like, how many times there's a there's a winter transfer and you're just like, oh, really? Come on. Yeah, like, okay. you're splashing out so much money for the fact that this transfer is going to give you, if we're being honest, fuck all, excluding Van Dyke, obviously, and Bruno Fernandez. But so I'll keep. Okay, I'll stop. Come on. I'll stop throwing on. them at you. I, on the whole, ninety percent of the time. Those are such anomalies. 99% of all winter transfers flop. I mean... Uh, it's amazing. I, I think it's worth please, pointing please out... Please don't, please don't tell me there's a third. Don't tell me there's a third one. Not that I can think of. I mean, people. I'm sure people will let you know. But... There you go. Comment section, take me apart. How often do winter transfers really flop? It's worth... It's worth noting how he changed Leeds. I mean, that team, I think reading it and talking to a couple of Leeds fans, they felt disconnected. Where now it's almost like a cult. Yeah, that, that's the thing as well. Like, Bielsa had the fans behind him for the majority of his time at Leeds. And he did do quite well with their first year after the promotion. You know, I think, if I remember correctly, they were on 11th place finishing the season. And for a solid amount of time, we're actually even scratching at the European places. And everyone was like, oh, Leeds, can they do it? So if if we're being honest, he did give them a lot. But I guess it's one of those cases where, you know, 
he stuck around long enough to see himself become the villain. Literally. And people were questioning the sacking yesterday or when uh, Saturday when it happened. Yeah. Sunday when it happened. Saturday night. Anyway. <laughs> but 12 games to go, he wouldn't have changed. It would no. have been the same cavalier football. Oh, you love that phrase, don't you? You do. You definitely love it. And they probably would have ended up going down. You know, they got Leicester, Aston Villa. They probably would have beaten Norwich anyway. You know, difficult games they've got. You know, Watford is a massive game for them. Southampton, uh, Chelsea, City, Arsenal. You know, there's some difficult games in there for Leeds. But... Ouch. Probably time to talk about the man. That's a lot of top six material to be throwing at Leeds in the last 12 games. Definitely is, especially the way Southampton are playing at the moment. Exactly, and they're not even top six. Like that's excluding Arsenal, City, and Chelsea. You just have to think about the fact that a quarter of those games Leeds probably will not win, or at least they're very, very difficult for Leeds to win. Well, funny you should say that. Do you want to talk about the man that's got to try and guide them through those 12 games? Well, he's not exactly an unknown face here at AT Sports News. We did spend a good amount of time criticizing him while he was managing RB Leipzig. But yes, Leeds do have him. It's Jesse, Jesse Marsh and you have Marsh Madness coming to Leeds now. Yes, it's probably already been trademarked, but we're using it anyway. I used it yesterday for the post. I was really annoyed they couldn't have waited until today. But, you know, <laughs> uh, needs must. So, oh, well. Jesse Marsh comes in. And probably... I, I will ha- happily eat my words here if it if it isn't the case, but it's probably a very good appointment. You know, you've got footballing dinosaurs and overall shite bags, Richard Keys and Andy Gray, calling for Big Sam. When I think people need to stop with the emergency Big Sam appointment. And you need to appoint Why? a manager. He gets you going for like three matches. Everyone's like, oh, see, so told you Big Sam's doing it. And then he goes down anyway. Exactly. You know, this Leeds team are in free fall. Like West Brom were when he took over. So that wouldn't have worked. But Jesse Marsh plays quick attacking football with a lot of intensity and that sort of counter-press style. Which isn't unknown to Leeds, if we're being honest. Exactly. And I think the way that they were trained and drilled by Bielsa, you know, you've seen that Leeds United documentary and Patrick Bamford's, you know, they've got sessions where they're not allowed to stop running. They have to run for the full session. They're fit enough. Yeah. They can definitely do it. It's just whether they'll buy into the, into the manager's way of playing because it won't be Bielsa ball. No, it, it, I mean, there are similarities between Bielsa and 
Marsh's playing styles in the sense that both are very attacking base and, you know, very quick uh, forward play. But whereas Bielsa, one, doesn't have a plan B, I'd say Jesse, Jesse Marsh definitely does. Uh, and two, I think there were, there's a lot more to show for Jesse Marsh, excluding his time at RB Leipzig, because he was handed a Leipzig team that just probably weren't up to the task. Um, and he was handed the Leipzig team with a lot of pressure. And he was coming from RB Salzburg, which, if we're being honest, you know, coming in uh, then to the Bundesliga, it's still a quite a step higher than you would normally expect. Um, and I just say Marsh didn't have the experience, but now I think that he has had some time to analyze maybe his own mistakes at Leipzig. Um, he has less pressure coming into the Leeds job, I think, because, you know, at this point, he's taking over Leeds with 12 matches to go. They're very, very close to the relegation spots and they're in free fall. All that he does or anything that he does right now that gets them in any way direction upward is going to be amazing. So if we're being honest, he's basically being put in this Leeds job and not many people are expecting him to get very far with that Leeds team. So he could very much just surprise everyone. Uh, and I think, I genuinely think he'll do quite well. Genuinely yeah, think he'll do quite yeah. well. Because it's a weird formation that Bielsa ended up playing because of injury. But I see no reason why March can't come in and play that it's almost it's not a four triple two it's like a box formation yeah yeah you know with Rafinha switches to a diamond yeah with Rafinha Harrison and Dan James even Rodrigo they've got a lot of pace for counter yeah I just have to sort out you know Junior Furpo is an awful player so no manager in the world's going to get him playing properly he's just an awful player <laughs> Jesus. You know, I've seen people already use the Ted Lasso argument. And, oh, well, he's an American. He's like, yeah, but this was an American who coached Leipzig. Granted, it was a Leipzig who just lost arguably, well, not arguably, probably their best ever manager. Uh, top not cent- probably, but definitely. <laughs> their top center half, their captain. <laughs> You know, this was a, a Leipzig team that hadn't found itself yet. And a Leipzig team who are still struggling to compensate for losing Timo Werner almost now two years ago. You know, there's a reason Yusuf Paulsen still plays for that team, and it's not because of his goal-scoring record. Yeah. It's a difficult one. I think he'll do quite well. I think... He needs to plug the, de- he needs to plug the defensive gaps, though, because if we're looking at his... Or I mean, at his at Leeds last five matches, they've conceded a minimum of three goals every match. Well, Luke Ayling is is a, a reliable fullback anyway. I think it's the centre halves that he needs to to sort out because Diego Lorente leaves a lot to be desired. Pascal Strauch is is okay, but like Junior Firpo's god awful. I think. Liam Cooper being injured is a massive miss for them. Yeah. And you look I at mean, the bench, you have a lot so of dummy, many. You, 
you you have with with the exception of Luke Ayling, you know there there's a lot of young center backs in there, so they're bound to make mistakes. I think he'll do well. I think he'll get them playing uh, his way relatively quickly. I mean, they've got no choice but to play his way relatively quickly. Otherwise, they will just go down. Yeah. I mean, you said it very, you said it perfectly. It's only two points off of the relegation spots, and Burnley have two games in hand. So do Everton. I mean, if Burnley beat Leicester tonight, that puts Everton in the bottom three, but they still have two games in hand over Leeds. Yeah. Which doesn't make for great viewing if you're a Leeds fan, but I say let us let us know in the comments where how you think Jesse Marsh will get on. And I think it's time to talk about another new manager. He's not had the best week. I was about to say, you just you just talked about them as well. It's a perfect segue. Go on. Seventeenth placed Everton with two matches in hand over Leeds. And you have the new manager, Frank Lampard. We criticized him a bunch in previous episodes. Um, But, you know, as we said, Everton might be the perfect job for him after all. And he didn't get off to the best start. But it wasn't all his fault. We'll put it that way. So if you haven't seen it, and if you haven't, you know, do, do you live in a cave? It's, it's all that's going around on Twitter. Rodri's handball from Saturday evening's game. And <laughs> in his post-match, Frank Lampard uh, said, I have a three-year-old daughter at home who could tell you that was a penalty. Even if the VAR says not sure, then go have a look. It's an in- it's, it is incompetence at best. If not, some, then someone needs to explain what it is. Uh, they then formally complained to the Premier League and uh, P, the PGMOL, which is the uh, professional match, uh, the, pro- the professional game match officials board. Christ, that's a mouthful. It really is. Uh, and they've since had a, an official apology from Mike Riley, head of, of that board, which, you know, Worst case scenario for Everton, they do get relegated. That phone call is going to feel really good. I mean, they can apologize all they want, but at the end of the day, Everton are still missing out on points because of a stupid officiating error. And, you know, as Lampard said, anyone with a, with a pair of eyes could have told you that that is a penalty and the fact that it's not given... And it just goes to show again, we've said it time and time again, this is the best league in the world and it has the worst officiating in the world. And it's not looking like it's going to change. No, I think... Pep Guardiola did a really good job of just shutting it down, of not trying to get involved in it, where he just said, I didn't see it. But from our replays, Richarlison was offside. And then just sort of stood there and stared at Jeff Shrees for like the most awkward 30 seconds of his life. <laughs> so he's he's deflected it quite well. And, you know, everyone's having their, throwing their hat into the ring and having their two cents about it. But I think 
at the end of the day, it is a it is about the officiating. You know, if you're not sure, I mean, the monitor is there to be used, and they always say, "Oh, say say if you don't get a penalty, and the referee goes over to the monitor, the commentator will always say." Oh well, he's going over to the monitor. That means he's probably going to change his mind. It doesn't always have to be that, you know. It, it doesn't always have to mean that. But at the moment in the Premier League, it does. You know, I've seen it covering Bundesliga games. I've seen it. Referee has not awarded a penalty. The VAR has gone. You might want to take a look at that again, and see what you think from another angle. And he's still gone. No, I don't think it's a penalty. And it's been the right decision. It isn't a case of what we said it last season, and we'll say it again. The, the game is now being refereed by some geezer sat in a van in Stockley Park and Uxbridge. It's not being refereed by the referee. Yeah, and I think that's I think that's a main problem in the UK at the minute is that people think automatically when the VAR says you should have a look at that. Then that then it means the referee has got it wrong and his mind should be changed. That's the one thing that maybe is better about VAR in Germany, at least. And in all honesty, the VAR still has a lot of problems in Germany as well. Don't get me wrong, but at least their referees are using the VAR as a tool that is there at their disposal and they still look at stuff, but they don't feel the need to change their decision the minute the VAR comes into effect, or basically they're told through the megaphone, yeah, maybe you should go and have a look. And yeah, that, that just needs to change. You know, if there just has to be one, one time where the referee is called over to the monitor and then he doesn't, he doesn't change his mind and it's the right decision for VAR to basically change in the UK. But that also requires a competent referee of which there are very little in the UK. So when we will see that finally come into effect, I have no idea. Well, okay, so I've had had a look at the uh, PGMOL's website and uh, the most used referee in the Premier League this season He's done 20 games, right? Is Paul Tierney. Who is useless. I honestly, like, pig fuck awful. (laughs) He was coincidentally the referee for that Everton City game. The VAR was Chris Kavanagh, who could not tell his ass from his elbow. So you're giving an already shit referee, arguably... The second worst referee in the league as his backup. And you're wondering why things are not going according to plan. I mean, we've, we've used these two names as a punching bag on, on this podcast alone, multiple times before. How has it not made it to the PGMOL that these referees are not up to the task? I mean, that's insane. 20 games. He's done the most matches this season. And he's arguably one of the worst referees there. I think it's it's mainly because to, to like actually complain about a referee's performance, there's a lot of bullshit to go through. So I think in most yeah, clubs, in that, most clubs' mind, if they don't get a penalty or something or 
or the referee has a bad game, it's just, okay, it's just not worth it. But I think Everton's case, the situation they're now in. Well, yeah, obviously. But the, even even if a club doesn't complain, there should be someone who's always watching the match officials who should be independent of the club's playing and is having a look at the refereeing decisions being made. Because that it, it should be an independent source who is basically saying yes that referee is good no that referee is bad and then making a recommendation to the pgmol that that referee ref uh officiate less matches or officiates more matches it's not that hard i mean they have it in sunday league for crying out loud that sunday league referees get more uh they have their decisions checked more often and they have a harsher consequence if they make a bad decision than in the Premier League. And that, if I'm being quite honest, is just... I mean, it it basically just sums up the officiating situation in the Premier League so unbelievably well. It genuinely does. And that would work, but I've said it before and... People will say it's not the case, but it, it definitely is. It's sort of like a referee's like old men club where the, the former mafia, the former referees that are employed by like BT or Sky or whoever, 99% of the time will not criticize a referee. I mean, fair play to Peter Walton, who's employed by BT. He did Chris, he did say, okay. That that was wrong. Chris Kavanagh should have done better. You know, Chris Kavanagh said there was no clear and obvious error with that decision well. that Paul Tierney made. But you've got people like Dermot Gallagher on Sky does ref watch on a Monday, which is the most useless thing in the world because he will just say, oh, I think the referee got that perfectly fine. And I've seen on Twitter, you know, oh, why can't we why can't we just use like, you know, uh more referees from foreign leagues like we do in the Champions League and the Europa League but they're the same people that complain when you get a Spanish referee who calls up for every single bit of you know tussling yeah you know, not every referee is Felix Brie and even in I my mean, opinion the good doctors had some shocking games recently yeah I was about to say he's I wouldn't even class him as being the best German referee but yeah it's it's also the fact of you know everyone saying yeah we should get the UEFA Champions League referees I'm sorry but the problem with the Champions League referees sometimes is you've got referees from all over Europe which is you know the whole point obviously but I still think that's one of the problems because in the Champions League you've then got referees like said Mr. Victor Kasai from uh, the infamous Real Madrid Bayern quarterfinal who referees in, I don't know which, uh, I, I can't remember, I think it was the Hungarian League or the Polish League, you know, one a league where it's not a top five league. And for me, I'm thinking in big matches, you should only get referees from the top five leagues in, this, in the Champions League because they're the only ones who can keep up with the speed of the game and they're used to the pressure. But you've got someone from, I don't know, the Polish first league or the uh, 
the I don't know the, the Bulgarian first league, and it's just they're not going to be able to keep up with the same style of play because those leagues are at best on par with you know the bottom third of the table, if not the second division of most of the top five leagues in Europe. Yeah, it's a difficult one. I've I've said before. TMO referees, Hawkeye, you know, whoever, you know, the, the guys that do the cricket. But I think they're too stubborn to admit they need help because TMO could massively help VAR. At the England-Wales game at the weekend, one of the Welsh players was sent to the sin bin for, a, for like an illegal move that in real time you would not have seen. You know, the referee missed it and the TMO... You know, you said, oh, I think you need to take a look. I think more transparency is needed. It would help if you could hear the conversations oh, yeah. like you can in rugby. It would help if the fans in the stadium could see what was going on. Because at the moment, you, you hear the commentators, especially on BT, where it's like, oh, so we're hearing from the VAR. Oh, you know, the VAR is saying, and the VAR, they're, 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 they're. we can't hear that. It would help if there was more transparency. But anyway. Yeah, you say, I mean... You're right. You say that though, but the F1 have just turned off all the cons between the race director and the teams. So they've kind of done the exact opposite. But that I agree with because there's no chance of uh, influence. It would be different if it would be different if, you know, Antonio Conte or Frank Lampard could, you know, pick up the phone and go to the VAR. You really should be having a look at that. Or what the hell are you, you know, what are you playing at? Why have you not had a look at that? Imagine the scenes. Imagine if you had team radio in football, like you didn't have one. It'd be absolute carnage. There would be no apologies for any uh, foul language you may have heard. It would just be a constant graphic on the screen. (laughs) Like it was when there were no fans in the stadium and you listened without crowd noise. It was just a constant rolling graphic every few minutes. Yeah, but anyway, let us know what you think the Premier League or just referees in general need to do to improve the use of VAR or just you know genuinely get better at their own job. As I think it's time we head over to Germany. Harlan's volley is beautiful beyond compare. Oh, yes, and I'd love to start with a little piece of juicy news which came up over the weekend. And that was when Lewandowski was uh, told by the press or asked by the press about his uh, contract situation and told that Bayern uh, officials have said, yes, we really would love for Lewandowski to stay and we really want to get him a new contract. Lewandowski replied, that's the first I'm hearing of it. I mean, that's just that's just show that just goes to show that the Bayern bosses don't have a clue what's happening. How can you? This is this is not just anyone. This is the top paid player at Bayern, the player who is the best striker on this planet at the very minute, and he still doesn't know that you want to extend his contract. Think about how, how, how unbelievably stupid that sounds. 
They haven't communicated to him. We want you to stay. And he's out of contract in just over a year. Well, hasn't he also said he doesn't want to leave for free? Well, yeah. In 2023, which would mean if he doesn't sign a new contract. A new contract by this summer, he's gone. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Is that not, you know, how are you not having, I know football doesn't really matter, but, you know, it does. How are you not having, you know, mild panic attacks? Uh, I, I mean, I don't, I don't really know. I think my blood pressure should probably be checked and I should be admitted to the hospital for, you know, a checkup if I've had any minor heart events in the last 48 hours. You never know. But yeah, I'm not going to lie to you. It's not looking great. Really isn't. I'm not, I'm not having fun. Being a Bayern fan at the moment should come with a warning. Like, please do not consume if you're heavily pregnant or have any underlying heart conditions, like a roller coaster. And that shouldn't be the case if, but if it's one of the best teams in the world. I understand that he's not getting any younger. You know, he, he is getting on in years, but he's in the form of his life. Like he's on course to equal, if not break, a record he broke just last season that had stood for decades. Even if it was like a two-year, I'm not suggesting you give him a lifetime contract. No, no, but, the, but that's, that's the thing, right? He has said himself, I want to continue for at least another five years. If in two years I start, you know, slowly losing it a little bit in that sense you know losing or he's he slowly starts uh you know getting on in years as they say then he would consider retirement but right now he like the the way he's feeling he says he can go for at least another five years and if he were to get a contract extension that's definitely what would happen it would be a contract extension till 2025 and Yes, Lewandowski is turning 34 in August, but you know, as you said, tell name me one player who is better than him in front of goal right now. You couldn't do it. And it's not like age is that big a deal anymore. I think how fit they must be, even at that age. I mean, Ibrahimovic is 40 and still playing for AC Milan. Ronaldo's 37, exactly. Cavani's like 35, 36. And, and Lewandowski, he's barely ever injured. I mean, Cavani's leaving in the summer. Ronaldo will probably leave because I can't see that man playing Europa Conference League football. I'll have him. We'll take him. It's fine. We'll show him the love and care he deserves. Not like your shitty board that doesn't know what they well, have. I mean, But the thing is, they'll get rid of him. And then bitch and complain that whoever they bring in isn't isn't scoring them enough goals. Okay, I'll I'll name you the player who is being rumored to replace him. If it isn't Erling Haaland, your board want a slap. Joao Felix. Fuck off. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, because he's not he's not a main striker. He's not a main striker. Atletico Madrid have found this out, which is why they've now got Suarez and Griezmann. 
exactly. Number one, there's that. Number two, Joao Felix has 38 goal contributions in 102 matches. Was Lewandowski's like 105 and 103? Like, this is not, this is like, this is like, this is like selling a Rolls Royce and buying a, uh, not, and, and buying, you know, a push bike. This is not, oh. Exactly. Yeah, thank you. Welcome to my world. I don't even support, I don't even support buying, and that's made my brain hurt. Exactly. I mean, given this is this is obviously from the Spanish rumor mill. Oh, but well, still. in that case, it's not true. I refuse to believe. Was it from Marsa by any chance? I have no idea. But it's uh, I put it this way. I it's one of the main things that has been going around. The other thing that's been going around is that Khan has apparently been meeting with Raiola about the possible transfer of uh, Gravenberg from Ajax. But Fabrizio Romano also threw in the uh, threw in the ring that Khan may not only be meeting with Raiola about Gravenberg for the midfield, but that Raiola's, Raiola is also the agent of none other than Erling Haaland and as we all know, Lewandowski's situation isn't cleared up yet, so we don't know what's happening there. In all honesty, I don't see how Bayern want to pay Erling Haaland what he wants to be paid, and that they can stem the uh, the 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 financial bleeding that his transfer fee would cause. And at the end of the day, Lewandowski he may be getting on in years, but he's still showing that he's in the form of his life and he can continue that form for another few years. And then who knows what happens in another few years? Maybe Haaland, God forbid, you know, falls off form. Maybe there's another striker who comes in and is the new, you know, or the next Robert Lewandowski. You don't know. But, oh, it just be so, so, like, I just don't see why. Like, Lewandowski fits perfectly with the Bayern system and how they play. Why would you change a winning system? Correct me if I'm wrong. By all means, stop me in my tracks. Patrick Schick. Yeah. Yes or no? He's decent, but he couldn't fill. No one can fill. The only player who could possibly fill the Lewandowski-esque void if he left Bayern would probably probably be Erling Haaland. And yeah, we've if, we've been through this though. Yeah, and if, not, we're, if we're being completely honest, that's probably not going to happen. So, I'd argue you've not really replaced Robin and Ribery. You're never going to replace Manuel Neuer. If that's the, I'm I am bad I'm so I'm shit scared for that moment. I'm not gonna lie to you. At that that is that is going to give me heart palpitations seeing who they put in goal next. Because I swear to God, if they put Alexander Nubitz, oh Jesus Christ. Thomas Muller might be the easiest to replace, but it's by no means going to be simple. Like no one, you can't replace Thomas Müller. You can get someone who is equally, who's maybe equally creative, or someone who is a very good center attacking mid. But Thomas Müller just has this factor that you know, 
in all honesty, if they try and make a documentary about him, everyone would be like, this guy is the anti-professional footballer. He's lanky. He doesn't look like he has a lot of control over his limbs. But somehow that guy positions himself in a way that no defender can really keep with him. That, that is his main quality is the fact, I mean, he's a, he's, he's a really good finisher as well. Don't get me wrong, but his best asset is the fact that no one can cover him because you don't know what that guy is going to do next. It is physically impossible to cover Thomas Müller because he just finds gaps. And then he'll at some point at somehow, even if the cross is put in somehow impossibly, he'll, you know, he'll get his knee on the ball to put it in, or he'll, 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 freaking use his shoulder or he'll use his i don't know his groin i don't know what the guy will find a way to get the ball inside the net it's he's an unreal player having said all that we have jamal musiala who is looking very promising at the center attacking midfield role so probably the easiest to compensate but then again mula is also only 33 or turning 33 sorry so he still also has a couple of years left but yeah, if we're being honest, I would I would say though, Robin and Ribery probably have been replaced by now. I think that with Gnabry, Sane, and Coman, you've got three players you can rotate on those wings. You finally filled filled that void, I would argue. But look how long it's taken. Yeah, okay, that yeah, that's the point. It's taken a good three years. Yeah, three, four years. But I think it's time we leave Bayern. Let's talk probably still just their main title rivals. And it's a big just. Because if we're being honest, they've probably done away with any chance they have for the title. Probably. And... It's not just that, but uh, Lothar Matthias has said uh, in his Sky column that they should seriously consider dumping Mats Hummels and Marco Royce because of how bad the season has been. So he said, if the yeah, bosses... I mean, those are your those, those are your both your prime candidates for the captaincy. And if we're being honest, they haven't led that team very well. Period. No, they haven't. I think if the bosses come to the conclusion that they still think Marco Royce is the right man, then you have to say goodbye to four or five players. Do the old stars, Mats Hummels and Marco Royce, really still bring this team forward? Or do we have to say goodbye to them respectfully and decently? Uh, Dortmund have disgraced themselves with every trick in the book after getting knocked out of the pockle by Sampaoli and the Europa League by Rangers. So changes need to be made. Uh, yeah, there's very few leaders in that team. I think as good as I think he'd be, it's probably a little too early to give Jude Bellingham the armband. Nah, that would go to his head. I mean, he's still making mistakes like, you know, shooting his mouth off in press uh, conferences or in, in post-match interviews. And you know, I still love him by all that. means that that still can happen to players who are older than him. But you know, as a captain, you have to learn what you can and cannot say. And that's one of my biggest critiques of 
Marco Reus is because that guy whines in front of camera so unbelievably much when things don't go Dortmund's way. And it's just not becoming of a captain to stand in front of the camera and be like, after every time you get you are handed a defeat by Bayern, it's like, oh, but they got a referee bonus and all this thing, this happened and all this thing happened. And oh, you can't always come with this mentality question again. And if the mentality, uh, 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 he's whining all the freaking time. He's just not a captain. Like well, I yeah, anyway, I think made a captain. I think give it like four or five years, wherever he goes, he probably will do. But I yeah, you're telling him in, in a few years, yes, but now no, he's too I, early. I get the criticism of Maximals. I get that. I'm all for it. Royce recently has been very, very good. And seems to and be I'm the- not saying I'm not saying on the pitch on on the pitch form is is not or shouldn't be taken into account. But if we're being honest, that's all Marco Reus is right now offering Dortmund is what his performances are on the pitch. If we're looking for a leader, he's not it. Yeah, but it's more the case that he seems to be the only one interested in sort of stepping up for Dortmund when Haaland isn't there. You know, Haaland won't yeah, be at Dortmund forever. Step- yeah, but there's a difference between stepping up on the pitch and stepping up in the dressing room. So what? what and you... for me, the leadership qualities just aren't there for 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 when it comes to Michael Wise. They just aren't. So what are you going to do? Are you going to continue to play an aging Mats Hummels who mentally? No, men- that's what I'm saying. Mentally I'm, wise, I'm with Lothar Matthäus, you need to get both of them out, and you need to figure out how you can restructure the team and get someone who's an actual leader. The armband. What do you do? Do you go back for Matthias Ginter? Give him the armband. Or do you buy a captain from an from a, an opposing team? I'm really happy that I'm not in Dortmund's shoes right now because they pro I mean, if we're being honest, they might have to give the captain's armband to Gregor Kovic at this point. <sighs> I mean, that's bleak. Yeah. Honestly, if they they do invest money really well, they do. But if they don't invest presumably Erling Haaland's money, he's going to leave in the summer. If they don't invest that in not just young players to bring through, but established names that can lead, it's going to be a bad few years. Because Jude Bellingham won't stay there for Oh, 100%. Just the same yeah, that Jaden Jude- Sancho didn't stay, Aubameyang didn't stay, Usman Dembele didn't stay, you know, Goetze... I mean, Hummels left and came back. Lewandowski yeah. left. The only one that hasn't is Marco Royce. Yeah, and I think that's basically his main argument for the captaincy is the fact that he could have left at some point in his career and, uh, and he didn't. But if that's your main, if that's your main argument to be captain, you probably shouldn't be captain. Definitely not. It's a difficult one. It's uh, yeah, I, like I agree. With you. I'm happy I'm not in in Dortmund's board. Yeah, I'm glad I'm not Michael Zork. To be fair, that would just be a nightmare. Yeah, yeah. 
Should we take a look at our last little Bundesliga topic? It's not a very big one, but it is the fact that we have a very tight race for top four. Because we said it in the intro, Emil Leipzig on fourth, 40 points. SC Freiburg on fifth, 40 points. And TSG Hoffenheim on sixth, 40 points. There's not a lot separating those two teams, or those three teams, sorry. And if we're and if you think about it, TSG Hoffenheim is just you don't think that they're a team that is all of a sudden going to be top six. Like you don't think that's a team who are scratching for uh, European places, but then all of a sudden they just they're just there. If, if we're being honest, you know they've had a good run of run of games in recent matches given these were against Bielefeld, Wolfsburg, and Stuttgart, which they all won. Um, but, you know, it's also a close 3-2 two, two defeat to Dortmund before that, and then it's a 2-1 defeat to Union Berlin before that, and then you've got, uh, and then you've got you know, wins against Augsburg, a draw against Gladbach, draw against Leverkusen, um, win against Freiburg, and, you know, they... they they do get results against teams who are their direct uh, rivals in that sense. And they, they got, they took points off of Freiburg. They took points off of Leverkusen who were on third. Um, yes, they did lose to Union Berlin who are three points behind them, but then, you know, they're also, they're, they're beating the teams they have to, and they're getting the results, which is, I'm still amazed at the fact that Hoffenheim have made it this far in the season and are still, in contention for European places. I'll, I'll agree with you in a sec. I've just had a look at the fixtures. Do you want to know something that makes this even sweeter? Oh, yes, please. Saturday, the 5th of March, at the Red Bull Arena, RB Leipzig against SC Freiburg. Oh, it's a playoff for fourth place. Whoever, get, whoever wins that match is cemented fourth place. And if you beat, if uh, Bayern beat Leverkusen, there's the potential to drag Leverkusen into that mix as well. Oh, 100%, which is even better because then you've got two direct places for the Champions League, uh, for not even Champions League qualifying. So it's Champions League direct places up for grabs for about three or four teams, which will make the end of the season very, very juicy indeed. I'm very much looking forward to this weekend. I think oh, hell yeah. Hoffenheim, I would say, are the surprise package this year if it wasn't for Freiburg. Yeah, but for, yeah, but Freiburg is like, you know, it's one of those teams that you just you just love to see them. You love to see them be get up there. You know, they've had the same manager for almost 10 years or even even over 10 years, and they haven't bought big names. Is just a small club that have, you know, scratched and clawed their way up to where they are now, which is why it's great to watch them. All right, it's fine. It's fantastic to watch, and I think you can't not enjoy it. It it's similar if they were to get Champions League football, Freiburg. If, That'd be insane. It's similar to the Leicester achievement just 
sort yeah. of like a diet Leicester. Yeah. I can't believe it's not Leicester. Yeah. Because there's no way with that team that they should be up there. But fair play. They've conceded the exact amount of goals as none other than league leaders Bayern. They're jointly tied for the best defense in the league. I could quite easily see them overtaking Bayern as well. Yeah, because Bayern right now are not defensively sound. <laughs> and as long as you've got Benjamin Pavard in your team and Marcel Sabitzer at left back, come on, man. Yeah, it's not. No, we, let's not get into that. No, let's not. Let's continue to praise uh, SC Freit. Christian Strike is the angriest man I've ever seen. <laughs> With the exception of uh, Cologne's head coach. No, 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 I was about to say, Stefan Baumgart takes the cake on that one. But Christian, Christian Streich is probably one of the most chill guys when it comes to, like, his press conferences. But if you look at him on the sideline, Jesus Christ. It's a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde situation. It's terrifying. Yeah. Maybe that's why they're there. They're just afraid to lose. <laughs> I don't want to upset the man. It's not, let's play really well and get Freiburg into Europe. It's, I really don't want to see him when he, I, I don't want him to shout at me. Please, can we just win? Yeah, that's probably why they haven't conceded as many goals. It's like, we don't want to concede goals. We don't want to know what that does. Every goal he concedes, he punches the goalkeeper. Yeah, let us know in the comments who you think will get the final coveted Champions League place. Will it be Leipzig? Will it be Freiburg? Or could it be Hoffenheim? Should we move on to one last rather somber note? And that is the situation in Ukraine. We haven't done any posts about it yet because we, uh, in all, with the exception of uh, the league being stopped, because we wanted to do a little gathering of information. But um, we'll give you guys basically the full rundown of all that stuff, and then we will also post it. But yeah. How has the Ukraine or the invasion of Ukraine by Russia affected the footballing world? And you have to say it's had some monumental waves. I mean, starting off with the fact that FIFA and UEFA have banned Russia and all of its teams from competing in any competitions indefinitely, which means Russia is now effectively barred from entering the World Cup in Qatar at the end of the year. All teams have been disqualified from Champions League, Europa League, Europa Conference League competition, which means some someone like Abby Leipzig just got a free ticket to the quarterfinals of the Europa League because Spartak Moscow are now disqualified. Um, we're also having uh, the... I think the biggest wave for us, at least, is the fact that Roman Abramovich has officially relinquished financial uh, his financial say in Chelsea Football Club. Yeah, but my issue with that one is, and I, I haven't sent you the picture, but someone put on there for, for people that don't understand. It's similar to in The Simpsons where Mr. Burns... Oh, no, you, no, you did send me this. I remember. <laughs> where Mr. Burns reveals that the uh, the power plant is actually uh, owned by Canary M. Burns. It's, it's somewhat similar to that, although apparently, according to the mail, 
he will listen to offers for Chelsea? Well, I mean, that's because, you know, we, we, we now know that all Russian banks have been, have been uh, taken out of the whole SWIFT transa- transaction uh, um, system. So basically, Roman Abramovich, his assets probably are somewhat frozen already because I'm assuming he's got some money in Russian banks if I'm being honest. And also the fact that we don't know yet what the UK government are going to do to his assets anyway. You know, they might have, they, they might already have plans to freeze his assets completely or seize them. Um, it's not known for sure, but if they do seize his assets, then the British government will effectively seize Chelsea Football Club. You know, Danny Kvyat has called it unfair. What? Uh you know, former F1 driver Danny Kvyat has said it's unfair to ban athletes and sports personality and sports teams because of what one man is doing. But it's the way to make that one man pay attention. You know, they've taken the Champions League final away from St. Petersburg. Things like Gazprom, you know, Schalke have ended their sponsorship, the Champions League or UEFA have ended their thing. So they'll, you know, we won't get that fantastic advert with, you know, the footballer who's clearly still Hulk from when he was playing for Zenit uh, yeah. in it. But uh, so Champions League nights will never be the same. You know, this programme will no longer be sponsored by Gazprom because they're not an I official... I mean, Shaka have had Gazprom as their main shirt sponsor for almost as long as Bayern have had T-Mobile as their main shirt sponsor. Just, literally so as long as I can men. picture Schalke. Exactly. You know, Christian Huntelaar the first time. If you remember the center back they had, Marcelo Bordon, he was a Brazilian center back, uh, mid 2000s. He was uh, active for Schalke. Yeah, I saw the, um, Yeah. And Mesut Ozil's um, youth, uh, youth pictures for Schalke. They have Victoria. Um, insurance as their sponsor that's the one that's the last time i remember shaka without gazprom as their main shirt sponsor i mean shaka also, will, you know shaka will have no issue finding another sponsor just the same as the champions league will have no issue finding another sponsor no they won't but i think it's 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 still a very good sign and you know to go back to you know triat saying it's unfair you know Obviously, none of this invasion is the fault of a Russian athlete or something else. But at some point, you have to pressure. You have to put pressure on some on some things that just you know. There's you can't you can't just you can't just sit idly by and say, you know, we're going to let Russian athletes compete and everything. Like at some point, you have to put pressure on the right areas. And if we're being honest, Putin is definitely going to feel the fact that you know, Russian sports are basically being prevented from seeing the light of day because it was his baby, basically, that, you know, Russia got the 2018 World Cup. Um, he Putin has always been pushing for the F1 race in Sochi since it, uh, since it came about 2014. That's been taken away. You know, you have to put pressure on every point. And as sad as it sounds, Russian athletes being barred from competition and things like that, or not being able to compete. That is just a form of collateral damage at that point. It's also going to get a reaction. 
it'll get a reaction because you know sports teams that aren't allowed to play no one wants that other than no, no what's one yeah, this isn't, it's, it's not like anyone wants this, this no is the one consequence wants of just you know a heinous act in history yeah no one wants what's going on other than putin yeah so if you hurt i say hurt if you if you do that to the people they'll react so you know we're not politicians we can only talk about this from a sports perspective yeah and in in sporting terms it's really not very important but yeah i don't know things need to happen things are happening yeah, I think and it's, it's also a question of, you know, I, what really gets me is when people are like, yeah, you should keep sports and politics separate. And to that, I always will. I will always say, no, it shouldn't be because sports have the power to make waves and, you know, get a message out to millions and millions of people. The platform that sports, professional sports in general have is unreal. So if you want to make real change happen and you can use the platform of professional sports to do it then you should and that's exactly what's happening here exactly sport at the moment or sport nowadays is bigger than the sport itself exactly so you know if it's going to be used as a foundation for change power to it let's use football for good and not you know evil like it has been used i think that's probably a good place to leave it I was about to say, I think that that is the most succinct uh, statement from tonight's episode. I, th- I think probably the last thing before we sign off is uh, I have had a look at our um, like analytics and that. There's only one of them, but there is a listener in the Ukraine. Whether that was someone on holiday, I don't know. But, you know, just thoughts and prayers go out to the people from everyone here we stand with ukraine and i think on that note we shall say good night and don't forget to like share and subscribe to 80 sports news on twitter instagram and facebook and make sure to check out our previous episodes and also Uh, hit that subscribe button so you get notifications for our new weekly episodes every week. And that's on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Um, You know the the whole game by now. Our previous episodes are good. Our coming episodes will be better. And I think on that note... Thank you very much for listening, guys. Keep calm. Love the beautiful game.